0: The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. To find more amazing Alberta-made podcasts, visit albertapodcastnetwork.com. dot com.
1: I'm Dave Cornway, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We are recording this episode on Sunday, January 26, 2020, our first episode of The New Decade, and we are thrilled to be joined by our special guests today, Tina Faiz and Reagan Boychuk, who are here to talk about the growing issue around orphan oil and gas wells in Alberta. So Tina Faiz is a communications consultant and political strategist based in Edmonton, and Reagan Boychuk is the lead researcher and an oil field liability expert with the Alberta Liabilities Disclosure Project who you which you may also hear us refer to, uh, or me, you may have heard referred to as the ALDP. Uh, so welcome to the show, uh, Tina and Reagan. it's a pleasure to have you on today. Thanks for having us.
2: Thanks Dave, happy to be here.
1: Yeah, uh, w- One of the biggest sleeper issues in Alberta politics this day is, these days, but one that might not be at the top of mind for um, the, what I would call the majority of Albertans, and that's those living in the big cities of Calgary, Edmonton, is the issue of orphan oil and gas wells and it's something that we've really over the past couple weeks in 2020 it's been one of the defining issues even though it's been an issue in 2019 it it really didn't get the the attention that it probably deserved in in both the provincial and federal elections last year but in 2020 it seems to be uh, a big issue so jumping right in uh reagan for our listeners who might not be too familiar with the issue could, could you explain to them what an what is an orphan well and what is the difference between an orphan well, and an inactive well, or an abandoned well? Because we kind of hear these terms thrown
3: around. It's a great question because there's a great deal of confusion, and I think some of it intentional around the terminology. Um, the, and some of the, some of the words that you mentioned, uh, inactive, abandoned, orphaned, a well could be any or all of those. And so I think the easiest way to think about it is there's a continuum uh from an active well to when they're finally retired and that's where a lot of the terminology comes in an active well is one that's still producing oil and gas uh, to some extent Uh, when that ceases um, it'll be called inactive and in alberta that's a temporary stage of six months or a year and within that final year, it has to be properly suspended, uh, the next step in its life. And that just involves properly securing the site, putting locks on the valve sort of thing so that it can be securely uh, left for a period of time. And the next step after that is to what the industry calls abandoned, uh, but leaves the wrong impression in laypeople's mind. What the industry means by abandoned is that the well has been permanently plugged and that takes it permanently out of uh, service. Um, But it's still one more main step left on its trip towards retirement is uh, remediation and reclamation. And that's when the well site is cleaned up, the access roads are removed and the topsoil is returned sort of thing. And so it spans from active to reclaimed uh, with a few confusing words in between.
1: And what, why is that, I mean, well, I guess, first of all, how many wells are there in Alberta and how many abandoned or orphan wells are there? Like how, how many fall into the category that we're concerned about when we talk about orphan wells?
3: Well, there's about half a million wells that have been drilled in Alberta over about the last century. Um, some of those are grandfathered in before there were any real environmental standards. About 70,000 of them have already been cleaned up to whatever the standards were of the day. Um, when it, and that leaves, once you take out the water wells and some of the bitumen wells that are used um, for SAG-D, uh, you're left with Alberta has 300,000 oil and gas wells, more or less, today. Um, that either are ready to be cleaned up now or will eventually. Um, the orphan wells get a, get a lot of attention, and it's it's kind of the it's shorthand for the issue. Uh, but there's only about 3,500 orphan wells. And orphan wells are ones where the regulator says there's no one, there's no solvent company left to take care of them. And so they fall to a mostly industry funded organization uh, to shepherd towards retirement. Um, But there's only about 3,500 orphan wells. And that's a a rounding error in the scope of the overall problem of cleaning up a century of oil and gas development in Alberta. So, I mean, you mentioned a century of oil and gas. I mean, oil,
1: Alberta has been uh, a resource dependent province our economy has been largely or you know largely resource dependent on oil and gas for a long time this is nothing new so what why is this an issue now
3: um it's the reason it's coming to a head today is the steady decline of the oil and gas industry in alberta outside of the oil sands the oil sands are a separate issue they have um, they're young and still profitable but the conventional crude oil and natural gas the pump jacks and um, et cetera, that we associate with the traditional, uh, industry have are a century old. Um, it's, uh, very mature. Uh, the industry outside of the oil sands in Alberta hasn't turned a profit in a decade. Uh, and so, um, oil and gas is a little bit different than most industries. Every oil company, every oil well is in a constant state of decline. They produce less than they did the year before. And so unless you're spending money to grow, you're shrinking. And that's where the industry is today in Alberta. Um, extremely mature, unprofitable, deeply indebted, uh, and still with an enormous amount of unfunded cleanup. And so as companies slide further and further into decline, um, they don't have the money for cleanup. Now they don't have money to pay farmers or their local taxes. Uh, and the, these issues that everyone wants to kick down the road, um, we're having trouble doing that anymore. There's, there's no more escaping. Um, it continues to grow. It can't be ignored forever, and uh, it's simply the economics are forcing it on uh, back on the agenda when uh, industry, the regulators, and the government uh, don't uh, aren't interested in having it there. So, so
1: you mentioned earlier about, I mean, the different stages in the life. You mentioned uh, in in your comments just a moment ago about. Uh, what happens to an oil and gas well once it's been reclaimed or once it's reached kind of the end of its lifespan. Now you mentioned that reclamation or, or what that looks like being capped or whatever really depends on the standards depend on the government of the day. Now, like, w- w- what does that exactly mean?
3: Okay, so there, up until um, Lougheed's day, up until the early 1970s, um, environmental concerns were not a factor. Uh, And that's when the first standards start to come in. There's an incredible series in the Edmonton Journal in 1992 that talks about this history and the the shift towards um, environmental standards. And they describe it as back in the heyday of oil and gas in Alberta, nobody much cared about anything more than getting oil out of the ground and getting paid for it. If there were spills or leaks, uh, they were just bulldozed over uh, and lost. And so um, there's about 30,000 wells in Alberta from before there were standards and they're grandfathered in. Um, Since um, And they've gradually improved those standards as environmental concern has grown uh, throughout the 80s, 90s and uh, 2000s. And there's about 70,000 that have been fully cleaned up to the standard of the day. Uh, But there's a big gap in the way we manage this issue that once they're cleaned up, there's no monitoring of them uh, and We now know from some government-sponsored studies that have gone back and tested these reclaimed sites, Um, and even to the more modern standards, um, they aren't returned to near their original state. Uh, They're not able to grow like they should. And we're finding that even the most modern standards uh, aren't up to the job, but it's something that's been under the radar because um, we aren't monitoring these wells. Even though the plugs um, only last 20 or 30 years, and so these, all of these extra wells, they do require constant monitoring and replugging indefinitely. Um, we don't do any of that, um, and so we only have the vaguest sense of how those standards haven't really lived up to our intentions.
1: So when when those standards were imposed, who's uh, who is it believed would be responsible for those sites after they were? after they were plugged or after they were capped like is it something that the the, the it reverts back to the landowner or the farmer who owns the land and then it becomes their responsibility or did would would the company or a government agency have some responsibility there
3: uh the company is responsible um if the if it has been certified as reclaimed by the government that is a, that is sort of a government guarantee uh and so if the landowner finds that it's not at the standard, um, the government, having certified it, um, will be, could be held responsible to do additional cleanup. Um, but the company that drilled the well um, is responsible for spills and contamination indefinitely. And even after it's been certified as cleanup, uh, they are, they're potentially liable for up to 25 years. And so that's quite significant, um, mm-hmm. except the government has never um, gone backwards to hold previous owners responsible. And so while um, it is according to the law, the polluter pays, according to energy law in Alberta, the companies remain liable um, even after they sell it to someone else. Um, We could come back to them for costs. We do have that power. That is what's going to be necessary if we're going to tackle this problem. Um, But for the last 30 years, um, the government of Alberta has had uh, an off the books deal with industry uh promising never to look backwards so as long as you can sell your wells to the next guy who um, whether he knows what he's getting into or not as long as you can sell it to someone else the government under klein promise never to look backwards and uh, so we've always had this power to hold the industry accountable uh, but we're yet to use it
2: okay. i think this is where this issue gets so um interesting to me is that if we zoom out a little bit and look at the entire regulatory system it's obvious how broken the entire thing is frankly not just the reclamation side of these wells but um i mean essentially we have a social contract right if i'm a landowner i um i can't say no to an oil and gas well company that wants to drill on my land they i have to let them come on my land and the social contract is you're going to return my land to me to the way it was prior to drilling. And the person, the body, the entity that's supposed to oversee that this happens, that industry holds its end of the bargain, and I, as a landowner, um, provide them the access and whatever they need um, in exchange for the rent that company is gonna pay me for using my land is the Alberta Energy Regulator. And so I'll say AER for short, we're probably gonna throw that acronym around too. And so AER is 100% industry funded. Um, and so, but it has a dual function to protect the environment, the safety of all burdens, people like me, let's say, is a landowner who's, let, who's had to let this company come and drill on my land. But at the same time, they have the dual function that they have to promote the industry. They're the ones issuing the licenses. And so the more licenses they issue, the more robust and active the industry is. And so it's sort of the classic Fox guarding the hen house sort of conflict of interest. And the public has been, I think, the loser Um, in this arrangement for decades, I mean, as far as back as Reagan's talking about. So, I mean, I'm left with the question of how is this regulator supposed to protect the public? Let's say by not issuing drilling licenses for companies that aren't paying the taxes or not um, properly cleaning up and reclaiming their wells, while also keeping the industry sort of clipping along. And so this is the same regulator that's issued 97% of these reclamation certificates um, that Reagan mentioned, that, like they have given the government guarantee that these things are reclaimed without sending a single inspector out to any of these oil and gas wells in question for a field audit. So we have no idea how well um, they've been reclaimed, let alone send out somebody 10, 20, 30 years later, like Reagan said, to actually monitor and see is that plug deteriorated? Does it need to be replugged? Is it leaking anything? Is it safe for that landowner? Are they going to get sick? Um, and there's been lots of folks who've said that that chunk of land, piece of land on their property that had a well has become sort of um, the zone that nothing grows. There's no evidence it can even sustain trees, let alone actually go back to the way it actually was before the drilling began. And so for me, this is where the whole issue started. It's a regulator that's captured by industry, created by a political party, the Alberta Conservatives, that are in the pocket of industry. And so are we really surprised that 35, 45 plus years later, um, this issue is coming to roots. So, you know, when I zoom out at sort of that really 30 foot kind of thousand foot vantage, the system's broken along sort of this full cycle of the well that we've talked about from when a company applies to get a license. There's no checks done to make sure, Hey, is this company in good standing? Have they screwed other landowners before? Are they stiffing their tax bills? There's no check. So the license is approved. Um, Premier Kenny has been very proud to say he's looking for 15-minute um, new license approvals. Like I just think that's so insane that it takes longer to get a pet license than it is gonna be to get an oil and gas well license. But that's anyway, that's the path we're on. And so when that license is approved, there's no deposit taken up front to cover this eventual cost of the cleanup um, that they're issuing the license for. And then when it comes to the point where they start not paying rent to, lend, uh, rent to land owners or their taxes, um, the government's not doing anything. And then back to this end case when we're talking about when it's time to clean it up, um, you know, is the AR checking or stopping companies from, say, selling their dead wells off for, in some cases, for a dollar to a shell company that then can go bankrupt on paper? and me and other landowners in you know, in this hypothetical scenario with these um, hundreds of thousands of dollars of cleanup debt that in the end, um, we taxpayers or landowners have to cover. So ultimately it all, to me, lays at the foot of this regulator that's created by government, that's paid by industry and captured by industry.
1: I, I'm really glad you brought up the Alberta energy regulator because it's something that we've been Um, I I think we've referred to to this on the podcast uh, over the past couple months. Uh, And it's been, the AER has been in a bit of turmoil, quite a bit of political turmoil over the past uh, past few months. I think the government of Alberta is doing a general review of the AER. But it's my understanding that the Auditor General's office has actually been reviewing the AER's handling of the oil well liability problem. But that's kind of flown under the radar. Um, do you guys have any idea when Albertans can expect to see a report and, and what, what might happen next after the Auditor General makes some recommendations?
3: Well, the Globe and Mail just reported that the, the Auditor General expects to publish its report on this issue by the end of the year or early next year. And that, that frankly shocked me. The Auditor General has been working on this review of the liability management programs for two years now. I wrote a letter about AER fraud related to these liability management programs two and a half years ago. Uh, they began this audit in January 2018. I met with them the following month, the team working on it. I've shared extensive research, documentation, analysis, met with them repeatedly with other former regulators uh, and they've had more than enough time to complete this audit. The team that was working on the AER was this liability audit was pulled off for one year to work on the Jim Ellis report, um, which ended up being a completely independent, I would suggest utterly redundant third report on the shenanigans of the former AER CEO, Jim Ellis, uh, the public ethics, the ethics commissioner and the public interest commissioner also produced reports somewhat in collaboration with each other. But the, uh, Auditor General took upon itself to launch uh, their own audit, uh, independent of the commissioners, uh, pulled the team off for a year, but that team has been returned to the liability uh, review since early fall. Uh, and I'm frankly shocked to hear that it's still going to be uh, another year until we finally see this report. Uh, the re- Auditor General is now has understood for two years now the scale and urgency of this problem, and I, I think it, it's on them to explain how such incredible delays aren't political. Uh, and so it's going to be some time before we hear. And to be clear, by the end of the year or next year, the regulatory program that they've been investigating for two years will have long since been canceled and replaced. Uh, the energy minister announced in the spring they'll have, um, they're going to take credit for work that the The AER has been doing for uh, the last couple of years, designing a program to replace the current one, uh, which which has been in place for 17 years, never properly audited. This was going to be the first only audit, but it's been delayed so long, it's going to be old news by the time the audit comes out. So it's a really uh, shocking situation where uh, this was an absolutely scandalous program that managed these liabilities. It was literally written by industry itself and replaced an absolutely brilliant regulatory program that had just been developed at great expense by the regulator. That disastrous consequences allowed this problem to grow dramatically uh, over the last 15, 20 years. And so it's going to be some time before we hear that. and Now, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it is they're going to be reporting on, because they've been working on for two years on a set of programs um, that's about to be canceled and uh, won't be re- reporting until long after that.
0: This episode is brought to you by A Tale of Two Weeklies, a new podcast series that digs into the rise and fall of Edmonton's C Magazine and View Weekly, two alt-weeklies engaged in a newspaper war that neither survived. Take a listen.
1: It was a newspaper war. Good old-fashioned knock-down, drag-out
2: newspaper war. I think we were really good at uh, winning jackpots with lousy hands. I'm the type of person who... Cringes
1: at pretty much everything I've ever done, ever. Uh, yeah, my whole career is a series of regrets.
2: For 26 years, two rival magazines existed as the alternative weekly press in one mid-sized Canadian prairie city.
0: The rivalry was was like the only thing we cared about, and we were we were soldiers in that ongoing um,
2: battle. I just considered us sort of like this like special world of people who happened to be lucky enough to be able to do this.
0: It was really fun, mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> even though it made me miserable and and eventually left me feeling sort of broken.
2: A Tale of Two Weeklies is the story of View Weekly and C Magazine, two papers that ran in Edmonton between 1992 and 2018. The podcast covers their rise, glory days, notorious rivalry, and eventual decline. Listen at taleoftwoweeklies.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: The series is created by the team behind I Don't Get It and is funded by the Edmonton Heritage Council. Search for a tale of two weeklies wherever pods are cast or visit taleoftwoweeklies.com. The Dave Berta podcast is also brought to you by Alberta Health Services. Here they are with a very important message.
2: We ask these children if they know when to go to emergency and when there are other options.
1: I would definitely go to emergency if I broke my arm. If you stopped breathing or something's really wrong. If you had a cold, you should probably just go to a doctor and not into the emergency. Or clinic.
2: If you have an emergency, we're here to help. If it's not an emergency, you have options. Take control of your health. Call 811 or visit ahs.ca slash options.
1: One of the reasons why this is a big issue today and, and I mean, obviously it's it's been an issue with the, with the Alberta Energy Regulator. We've talked about the, we just talked about the Auditor General's report or the Auditor General investigation. We've talked about the government, uh, Sonia Savage moving in and reviewing the system, we've, we have mentioned Jim Ellis, uh, all the controversy around the AER, but one of the reasons why, well the big reason why we're talking about this today and why orphan wells are, are on a lot of Albertans' minds today is that we've heard rural municipal politicians over the past couple weeks raise huge concerns about, and this is a huge number, an estimated $173 million in unpaid municipal pac- unpaid municipal taxes as a result of wells uh, from companies that are either going insolvent, uh, but a number of companies that perhaps might be just taking advantage of the situation. So according to a report from CBC uh, that quoted Pinocchio Re- County Reeve, Paul McLaughlin, uh, Reeve McLaughlin said that about 40% of unpaid taxes are from severely distressed companies and, and the rest of the shortfall is from companies that continue to operate but don't pay. Now, we heard Premier Jason Kenney asked about this question and Kenny seemed extremely reluctant to do anything about this issue. Uh, and and I, I, I struggle to imagine uh, another any other industry or any other individuals who would be given such sympathy, um, such, uh, such leeway by Premier Kenny, other than the oil and gas industry. It's really, it's really quite phenomenal. Um, uh, A friend of mine mentioned uh, the other day, put it, put it really well saying that this is kind of like a, a, in some ways, it's a triple subsidy of the oil and gas industry by the Alberta government. It's, you have in one, in, in one column, you have a, a very large corporate tax cut, some some, some have estimated it's up to $4.7 billion. Many of that would go to oil and gas. You have $30 million annual public relations subsidy coming from the, the war room, the Canadian Energy Centre. And now you have basically no consequences or what would seem as no consequences or very little consequences for oil and gas companies just refusing to pay taxes. Um, so what I mean, what can municipalities do, uh, and 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 I guess what what happens afterwards? Do, do, would municipalities assume environmental liabilities if they decided to seize wells or seize operations of of oil and gas companies uh, that aren't paying their municipal taxes?
3: Yeah, um, I gave a talk in Rimby uh, the week before this news talk. Uh, this news broke, and Paul McLaughlin introduced me, and I we had dinner together and was chatting about this. This issue and the fact that the majority of unpaid taxes are coming from viable companies that continue operating, uh, but are just choosing not to pay—it's really, it's really something that I think most people have a lot of trouble understanding. All the more so when the former head of the Taxpayers Federation, our current premier, uh, defends them, um, and it's the bind that municipalities are in. Uh, they don't have the same problem in Saskatchewan, but here in Alberta. Um, they don't have the same powers as they do against you and me. If I didn't pay my taxes, uh, eventually they could uh, force a judicial sale of my house to collect their unpaid taxes. Um, they don't have the same powers when it comes to oil and gas. And Alberta municipality spent the last year in court in a case called Virginia Hills, uh, trying to fight for that right, trying to establish themselves to be able to collect these unpaid taxes. Unfortunately, they were unsuccessful. They lost in uh, the Court of Queen's Bench Appeal Court, and the Supreme Court refused to hear it. So it's essentially settled. Uh, Municipalities aren't secured uh, creditors. They fall at the bottom of the line when there's no money left, and that's why um, Kenny tried to suggest um, they could sue, um, but the urban municipalities have since come out in solidarity with their rural counterparts supporting the call for changes in legislation that will give local officials the power they need to go after these companies. And when it comes to um, the environmental liabilities, if they, if they seized a well the same way they would a house, um, the answer is... To the question of whether they would also assume the environmental liabilities the answer is um, yes and no. Um, when you buy the it, well, it, it comes with the court, there's no way to, to disconnect the associated liability from the asset. Um, but we do have joint and several liability in Alberta. The regulator doesn't use it, uh, but the power exists, and so at least theoretically, um, we should be able to go back up the food chain um, if the company. Um, that owned it at the last moment, went broke, um, and has no money to collect, we can go after its previous owners. Anyone who profited from making that mess is liable for cleaning it up. Uh, industry understands it. The regulator understand it perfectly well 30 years ago when the courts first established that. Uh, and so they would be assuming the liability, and theoretically they could uh, pass it back to industry, um, but that would take some reforms in, in the way the regulator works uh, for us to go to look back to previous owners.
1: Now, now, Tina, this is a. I mean, this is a. This is a huge political issue in rural Alberta, which is also the strongest base of support for the United Conservative Party. When the UCP won the election in April 2019, uh, they racked up. That party racked up massive majorities in huge parts of rural Alberta. Uh, like, what is? What's your take on on how? Premier Kenny responded to the rural municipalities when they basically are basically looking, perhaps looking to the province for some direction or some the ability or some help to collect these these this this massive amount of unpaid taxes from oil and gas companies. What like what kind of message do you think that sends from uh, for two rural municipalities?
2: I mean, it is curious, isn't it, that when it comes to um, his base of voters, this is Premier Kenny's base of voters versus his base of donors, which is um, the industry. Um, and, you know, you may find it funny, but I just think we're in full-on petrol corporatocracy now. I mean, that's, in the end, this issue, in a sort of brilliant way, has laid to bear uh, who, in the end, is the priority in Premier Kenny's mind in the pecking order, that it is, in the end, industry over people, industry over municipalities. And some of the Reeves... Um, that um, Reagan has talked to and have now since publicly come out since the Army put out that $173 million amount have all said that, that we're getting the sense that um, we're essentially second fiddle as municipalities, as small towns, as rural Albertans to this industry. And in the end, um, you know, as much as Kenny likes to talk about um, getting a fair deal for Albertans, he very much in his um, response to this issue, when he said, Um, and I will quote here, you can't wring money from a stone of companies that aren't paying their municipal taxes. Um, He showed what a raw deal, actually, the rest of us are getting. And um, not only is he condoning, essentially, what is tax evasion um, by these companies, majority of which, as Reagan said, are viable, but he's also suggesting municipalities should um, give further tax cuts to these companies. So that triple subsidy you spoke about um, you know, the third subsidy is not just um, kind of looking the other way um, when they're not paying their taxes. But in fact, last summer, uh, the government gave these companies a $20 million tax forgiveness, forgave $20 million worth of their unpaid property taxes. And you and I and every other Albertan paid for it. And so it's, it's a fascinating battle that's brewing. And, and I think with the comment that he made about ringing the stone, I think it was just so um so blatantly and so clearly laid out what is going on in the province like who really matters and i think the other thing i want to add is that it's not only a rural Alberta issue like many might think this is a rural Alberta issue obviously because these wells are out there and it's very specific landowners specific counties and small towns that are impacted by these unpaid taxes Uh, but at the end of the day, this affects us all. I mean, tuition's rising, school bus fees are going up. We're going to pay more in childcare. We're going to pay more insurance rates. I mean, you name it; um, it's increasing, and it's because we, the ways we pay for this is how we're you and I and everyone who's living in Edmonton and Calgary and Westbridge and Red Deer and the bigger cities are paying for. Um, the massive corporate tax cuts and these giveaways and these subsidies that Kenny's doing for this one particular industry. It's not even all industries. Um, it's very clear that it's a very subset of um, oil and gas that he uh, is is bowing to, bow, bowing to in a massive way. And I think ultimately, I mean, when you also, when, if we want to talk about the pensions issue, which is in our last podcast when I did my rental <laughs> Orphan <corporate laughs> Wells, my goal was to kind of link it to uh, like the fact that Jason kenny has gone after public sector pensions, um, the big issue with that is that you know I mean it's kind of essentially been widely accepted that his goal is to invest it in oil and gas companies and so then this issue for me becomes a, a matter of essentially stealing from workers to give to Kenny's rich corporate friends and their failing businesses and propping up this industry that's dying and has been dying for over a decade um, like, Reagan said that conventional oil and gas has not been profitable for quite some time, aside from the oil sands. And so to me, as much as the battle is definitely brewing in rural Alberta, to me, it's actually impacts all of us. And um, it's kind of the silent um, political issue that um, has bubbled up quite early in the new year.
1: Yeah, and it, it certainly sends, uh, I mean, it's, it seems to be a common theme of this government that, I mean, in almost everything they do, the message seems to be: if you ain't oil and gas, you ain't much. Um, their entire focus is on oil and gas, even when it seems to be to the detriment of Albertans or to the detriment of the people who voted on mass for their party. Now, it, I, I've been, you know, we've we've all been paying attention to Alberta politics. Everybody on this podcast has been paying to uh, attention to this podcast or attention to Alberta politics for a number of years, and I'm sure we all remember, or many of us will remember. Uh, back in the mid 2000s the the revolt the central alberta and and southern alberta revolt or uh, rural Alberta revolts around transmission lines and uh, which which really saw uh, and I think I would argue really sparked the rise of the Wild Rose party and the mm-hmm. decline of the progressive conservatives in their traditional strongholds in rural alberta and and I remember going to a town hall meeting it might have been in Laduke, or it might have been in Thorsby, I can't remember where it was, this was about 12 years ago or longer, and there were, there must have been four or 500 people packed into a community hall, and the, it was a town hall meeting on the transmission lines, and it was very clear that the, these these, these Albertans who were, were very concerned and very angry about this issue, and they were all, or most of them would have been progressive conservative voters, and I remember Uh, uh, PC cabinet minister getting going on stage and getting to the mic and I cannot for the life of me at the moment remember who it was. It might have been Mel Knight uh, who was the energy energy minister around that time but uh, I'll have to have to look back and see if I can uh, uh, find uh, anything I wrote about that at the time. But I remember the the PC cabinet minister getting to the mic and very much taking the side of industry, uh, taking the side of the the development of the transmission lines that these, these people very clearly didn't want and it was clear to me that, like, they just by the crowd's reaction, that the conservatives had forgotten how to speak to their voters, and they they were, the cabinet minister was standing up there very earnestly, very honestly, believing that what he was arguing was correct. Uh, but politically, it was just it was such a like third way, third rail issue in that community, and I like I'm not sure it's reached that point yet. I'm not sure if we will reach that point over the orphan well or the, the wells issue and the taxes issue in rural communities yet, but it, but that speech and the comments that Jason Kenny made uh, really reminded me of that. It was very much a uh, big city Tory not really understanding the uh, what's going on in, in communities outside the big cities um, and very much taking the side of industry over anything else. Or at the, even at the detriment of, of communities and the types of services. Uh, and operations that rural municipalities, municipalities provide on a day, day-to-day basis.
2: Well, and to say, I mean, the the ringing from the stone, as you say, like it it totally echoed what you're, exactly what you're saying, that you forgot to speak to um, rural Albertans because he was saying that to municipalities, telling them you can't ring money from a stone, so get off their case and let them get away with not paying your taxes. But what he failed um, to, I think, recognize as he uttered those words is that rural albertans and albertans in general heard him say that and on social media the response um has been i mean just reading the commentary on twitter and facebook messages and on reddit it's overwhelming how many people have said well you know what on my next um taxes i'm gonna put my first name a stone and not pay my taxes and so I think you're right in that he forgot which who was going to hear that message, because what that said so starkly is that um, these are companies that are profiting off publicly funded roads and utilities, but they are refusing to pay their taxes. And so um, at the end of the day, um, he's saying that he's still more concerned for these oil and gas well companies than he is for Alberta's rural communities and the Albertans and the residents who live in those communities. and um, Instead, he's going to wring all the stuff out of our healthcare and education, universities and social programs on the backs of what families, seniors, students, people with disabilities, you name it, everyone who's going to pay more for it. And um, the, the, his messaging really, even though it was targeted at him trying to um, bully municipalities into uh, letting industry off the hook, I think landed so wrongly with average citizens. And which is why I think also um, David Swan's direct action, um, like his his. I, I um, was going to
1: ask you about up. that, about explaining explaining what uh, what former uh, uh, Calgary MLA and former Liberal Party leader David Swan is doing in reaction to this.
2: Well, he um, and and Reagan jump in here because you were with him that day when he made that announcement. But he essentially got up and said, "I'm going on a personal tax strike." And I'm not going to pay my personal provincial, like provincial taxes, which goes through property taxes. It's complicated. But anyway, his point was, I'm not going to pay my provincial taxes until as a protest um, to protest as government's double standard to make. um, I'm not going to pay them until you, Premier Kenny, and you, UCP government, make this industry pay their fair share. And um, his direct action gave voice to what so many people were talking about. And and it's after him coming out with his um, with his action that people started writing these comments and um, all you know hashtag of I stand with Swan started circulating because he gave voice to what people were hearing from this government, which is oh um, our corporate friends and industries should have one set of rules and we're going to have a whole other set of rules for you regular Albertans who have to pay your taxes of course, but these guys can get away with it, and so. And Swan's um, sort of direct action the next day inspired a group of an association of landowners um, to put out a call to all landowners telling them to shut off the power to the wells on their sites. And so we're reaching a point where people are just going to take um, laws into their own hands and do what they feel is um, fair and just for them when um, Kenny has, and this regular and Alberta's energy regulator made it so clear that there are two sets of rules. There is a double standard. Everyone is not treated the same way, and um, and and they're going to do their own thing. And I think it's um, it's putting these issues so um, so openly in front of folks of where people stand versus industry in this government's mind.
3: I've spent a lot of time in rural Alberta over the last five years working on these issues with landowners. Uh, I know uh, Action Service rights, Daryl Bennett, and the folks that uh, called on landowners to safely turn off valves and cut the power to sites not paying landowners or not paying their taxes. Uh, And this is an issue that has been simmering under the surface uh, away from the big city press for decades. The grievances in rural Alberta are enormous. Uh, I worked closely with the ALDP Rural Caucus uh, during the last government uh, and were They were unable to get meetings on this issue Um, now under the Conservatives. Most of these, these are socially conservative, politically right-wing folks in rural Alberta to a large extent. Uh, But this issue cuts across political lines. And um, the same is true for these. Action service rights has strived to work closely with the government for a long time. I was frankly surprised to see them come out. Uh, But that is the message that the government is sending to landowners, that uh, they are not being listened to. They have no alternative. And ALDP soon is going to come out uh, with a statement and uh, lay out in more detail the alternative to landowners going rogue and a better way to fix the system. Um, But people can only be pushed so far. And the... The last we were in Edmonton uh, back in October for the, some meetings about the, the government's review of the AER, and we told the deputy minister that if this broken system isn't fixed, folks like Action Surface Rights are going to take things into their own hands, and we have to prevent that. Uh, they haven't listened yet, but I hope they're starting to get the message because um, we might not hear too much about it in the cities, uh, but this. There is scarcely a landowner in Alberta that doesn't have some sort of oil and gas pipeline or well on their land. And the grievances and the dead ends that the regulator are, <clears throat> you would scarcely believe them. You would, you would not believe that that is how the, a system works in a place like Canada or Alberta. Uh, but these are very real issues and I, they're coming to a boil. And as the industry goes into decline, when the, when they, in addition to taxes, Um, when the industry doesn't pay landowners, like they're increasingly doing these days, um, the taxpayers step in and pay for them. And those taxpayer payments to the farmers as a gift to industry have increased dramatically in recent years. This issue is coming to a head because the industry is simply uh, sinking into the sunset and they don't have the money to keep the lights on, let alone pay farmers or their taxes, uh, let alone clean up. 300,000 wells, 400,000 kilometers of pipeline, and hundreds of thousands of oil and gas facilities across Alberta for which there's no money in the bank, there's no retirement plan, there's no money set aside for this. Uh, And so this issue is of enormous scale. Uh, It is incredibly urgent. And um, without any exaggeration, it has the potential to ruin Alberta. Um, Every one of these wells uh, will leak eventually. It's just concrete and steel. It's all decaying. It needs, uh, there's such a, the scale of work involved is enormous, Uh, but on the flip side, there's an enormous opportunity involved in that cleanup. We have 40,000 unemployed riggers in Alberta. The cleanup of the oil and gas industry could represent full employment in the energy sector for decades to come. There's decades of work in every corner of the province that involves almost no retraining, almost no relocation, almost no, capital expenditures. Um, The cleanup work is waiting to be done. And the reason I focused so intensely on this issue, working with the previous government, seeing it as an opportunity, um, a window of opportunity in Alberta um, that wasn't seized. uh, And with the new government, it's the opposite of a window of opportunity. Um, But their belligerence and arrogance is pushing even right-wing rural Alberta against them.
1: So what, one of the things, I mean, one of the things I'm going to be watching uh, going into the legislative session, which starts on February 25th, is if you actually, if we'll actually see any of these rural UCP MLAs raise concerns, uh, and will we see, get an impression of how much blowback or how much how much feedback they're getting, these rural MLAs are getting from their constituents, and whether that actually results in, in private members' bills, or whether that actually results in MLAs' Breaking from the uh, the the party whip on some of these issues uh, and raising these concerns because that 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 is one of the things that that we haven't seen yet is is in their first few months UCP MLAs have been very uh, very tightly whipped and very disciplined on on especially on this issue I haven't heard I don't think I've heard anything from the UCP uh, UCP backbenchers on this issue not that I fully expect to from cabinet ministers um, who are part of the government but but backbenchers in particular now both the UCP and the NDP mentioned wells in their platforms and there was there was it was usually a one I think both for in both cases it was a one or two line sentence about uh, implementing timelines for reclamations um, you know creating more clear timelines or increasing the rate at, at which wells will uh, will be officially abandoned but it wasn't clear what what exactly that meant um, what is it going to take to get actual action from uh, from the two political parties that are in the legislature on on this issue? Is it going to take a full-on revolt in rural Alberta?
3: I think it is, I, I but I think we're, we're close to it. Uh, the broken system isn't going to fix itself, and our captured regulators and politicians aren't going to have a sudden attack of conscience or admit their role in facilitating the evolution of this crisis of unfunded oil field cleanup. Um, and so it's up to Albertans. The answer to this problem, as with many others, I think is democracy. Albertans need to get engaged, write their MLAs, meet with their MLAs, ask tough questions, demand answers, uh, speak to their media. There needs to be in a much more journalism digging into this issue, uncovering solutions. Uh, because there's groups now like Reclaim Alberta that um, I've started and the ALDP that I work with intensely these days that people can join with uh, to get informed and to get involved. And <clears throat> ALDP is also going to be putting, putting forward another solution that doesn't, that's going to rely on the courts. It's not going to be asking any favors of the Kenny government, and it's going to uh, try to avoid further civil disobedience uh, because of the safety and liability risks of the sort of thing that uh, farmers are talking about these days. Um, and so I think this long-simmering and perfectly justified frustration in rural Alberta um, is on the brink of boiling over. And its uh, I think it's getting close to, I mean, they're going to try taking half-steps Um, The the UCP's platform only spoke of federal taxpayer subsidies uh, to encourage cleanup. Uh, Nothing more concrete or consequential um, for local companies than that. Um, And even in the reforms that the energy minister announced, um, she, she added that she's not a fan of timelines. So we shouldn't expect any of those absolute common sense, basic approaches The BC just implemented, um, a, a full set of uh, distant timelines, but timelines for cleanup. Um, but we're not even going to get that in Alberta. And so uh, un- unless the reforms are sufficient, unless they meet the scale of this problem, um, I think the anger is going to continue to grow. And I think there's danger in that. This, um, the government doesn't want to face this issue. Uh, but there's no choice. They're not going to make it to the next election with this still under the rug. And so um, it's up to Albertans to uh, increase the pressure and force a sort of reform that has been desperately needed for such a long time.
2: And I think it's kind of unprecedented to have rural municipal leaders speak in such a united fashion that hasn't been done before. So I agree with you, David, that there's been, I mean, this kenny coming from the harper sort of playbook of being very centrally controlled and having um, government so tightly whipped is his approach to governing everything is done from the center from the premier's office and even if backbench mlas wanted to speak out and are now hearing from their voters their citizens and um, others in their communities um there's still a way to sort of tell people um we've got this, we're gonna take care of you and sort of like kind of put them off. But now that they're facing this um, growing um, loud and united um, cohort of municipal leaders, I think changes the dynamics which which will be really interesting to see in this session and to see how the local municipal leaders are able to use band together and build power in a way that they have not exercised before. Um, Because, in the face of um, this kind of arrogance that Reagan mentioned, I think that's all what it's going to take is a countervailing force organizing, becoming united and standing up and saying no. Um, And there are lots of direct action and tactics they as municipal leaders can take to pressure this government. I'd be Curious to see if they're willing to take more and more steps. But up until now, everything they've said and done has been pretty unprecedented to speak out against this government and their approach to industry than we've ever seen. Um, Thinking when you talk about their platforms, I mean, like Reagan said, the UCP platform on this issue essentially was, um, you know, to basically sum it up was having no desire or intent on making um, industry pay an extra cent for the mess that they've made, um, they've created. And if anything, the UCP platform promised to speed up issuing um, drilling licenses under the quote unquote sort of euphemism of cutting, of streamlining the AER. And then their other ask, like Reagan said, is essentially asking the feds, which is more of us taxpayers across the country to pay for the cleanup of Um, To pay for the cleanup tap of this of these Zion dash companies who've taken away all the profits and are now dumping that cleanup mess on the rest of us instead of Using that look back power um, that the government AER have to go after the previous the last previous owners who walked away took the profits and walked away? um, And either sold the company to a bankrupt company or somehow walked away without looking back and the The sort of in a way it's just sort of for me giving industry whatever they want hopes that they're going to create jobs and boost the economy The sort of failed um, trickle down economic playbook is just it's no longer acceptable it's kind of the cracks are showing it's falling apart Um, even rural albertans who traditionally are conservative aren't buying it anymore but yet, in the face of all of that, I don't get the sense that the UCP has any intention of winding down this conventional oil and gas industry, which is what we really, what we really need to do. is start to wind it down, and the jobs, as Reagan said, exist in the cleanup and the reclamation work, as long as we make the industry pay for that. The polluters must pay for that cleanup work. This isn't going to the feds and begging Trudeau for more tax money, um, taxpayers' money to help for this cleanup. The polluters need to pay, but I just don't see them kind of going in this approach. Actually, just in that same, in that same um, answer Jason Kenney gave around wringing money from a stone, he said that what we should be trying to do, essentially, he was telling municipal leaders, instead of trying to tax these guys, what we need to do is try and create a future. This is what he said, quote, trying to, we should try and create a future for this industry to become viable again so that then they can start paying their taxes and creating jobs. And it just, I mean, I just, I'm just i so boggled by that because first of all, why are we trying to create a new future for this industry in an era of climate crisis? We need to be, the world's burning and we're on fire and we need to just wind this thing down and um, invest our time and energy in lots of other industries that are that can be just as profitable and create good jobs that are clean and low carbon um, but that's not um, that's not really his vision at this point point. and so my fear my fear in this next session is um, that he's going to force municipalities to give these companies even more tax breaks like he did in the summer so he's going to lower their tax bills and my fear is that he's going to um reagan i don't know what you think about this but my fear my fear is that he's going to Um, water down um, the requirements to consider a well site reclaimed so that we could just issue a bunch of reclamation certificates to um, these wells and get these wells off the books because and correct me if I'm wrong but I believe once a company gets or well site gets a reclamation certificate meaning the government said yes this thing is reclaimed now you're free to move on and you're free of your cleanup liabilities it cleans up the books of these companies and makes them look much healthier on paper, um, so that they can go out and get more loans and drill some more and um, create this pretend economic activity, which really isn't existing because there's actual costs that are not being dealt with. And I think we're gonna then veer into sort of accounting fraud <laughs> territory, which we don't need to go into today. But um, those are my fears for the session that the, the doubling down of this government um, instead of actually acknowledging a problem and giving it a real solution.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I would add. I'd add that my fear is these reforms that the energy minister um, announced um, to for the spring um, are necessarily going to be worse. The current system, the current regulatory program that manages these old wells, it's an absolute scam. (laughs) They're going to replace it. It's necessarily going to be worse than our current scam. Otherwise, Kenny will be able to. Kenny will be forcing more companies into bankruptcy uh he's not uh, it's inconceivable that he would do that so there's going to be it's going to be much more complicated and no one's going to much know how it works and it's going to be a while till we see the consequences but we can i fully expect to it, for it to be worse than the current system by by necessity uh, if his goal is to keep this industry afloat to find some way to make it viable um it's the the new regulatory program is going to be worse and um, waiting um, until the new year for the Auditor General uh, to come out, the program will already be in place. Um, we're not, Alberts are never gonna get a clear sense of uh, how we got here and uh, it's gonna be left in the murk of a new pro, a new complex program that no one's gonna understand. Um, and But lost in all that detail is gonna be the simple fact that um, it's even easier for companies to continue uh, sinking deeper and deeper into solvency while continuing to operate, whether they pay landowners or the tax man, um, they've got the full force of the provincial government at their back.
1: Well, and 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 touching on your point that you raised Reagan about accountability and transparency and, and the effectiveness of, of the regulatory and liability system, and, and Tina, the points you raised about climate change and, and energy transition that we are, whether we're in denial or not, that we're eventually going to be moving towards whether whether we like it or not. Um, I mean, it—it still—it it would seem to me it would make a lot of sense if the Alberta government decided to uh, instead subsidize or uh, or support, as it does the oil and gas industry, but to support an industry that that that, that is willing to meet its responsibilities and meet um, and pay the something as basic as pay the taxes that it owes to Albertans.
3: Alberta has two choices. You can either the regulator, the government, and citizens continue can continue sitting on their hands. And we can watch the industry slide into mass bankruptcy, leaving behind what the regulator internally uh, estimates is at least a quarter trillion dollars in Mm -hmm. unfunded cleanup. Or we can have a transition. We can recognize the unfortunate facts that our flagship industry is no more, it's no longer profitable, and it needs to be wound down. We can accept that fact and take advantage of the opportunities that are inherent in the cleanup uh, and try to minimize the enormous uh, consequences we're faced with um, on on our current trajectory, Uh, we can either have a crash or a transition, uh, but um, it's going to take Albertans stepping up and raising their voices to shift us from our current path, which is headed directly for the eventual crash that's going to leave all of this mess unfunded, uh, and it's going to be an unbearable burden on the province um, if we allow it to continue going in
1: that direction. So no, no conversation about oil and gas wells would be complete uh, without uh, some mention or some discussion about the Redwater decision. Now, Reagan, Tina, can you, can you explain what the, what the Redwater decision is and what, what, what are the policy and political implications for this decision?
3: The Redwater case was a weapon To discipline the nascent NDP government, it was set into motion seven days after the 2015 election and was unveiled publicly, or at least to the regulator, seven days after the new NDP government foolishly appointed ATB CEO Dave Mowat to chair the last royalty review panel. Uh, Relying on a a dubious interpretation of bankruptcy law, lenders tried to escape responsibility for cleanup. Uh, We have joint and several liability here in Alberta. The regulator can force cleanup. Uh, before secured creditors, um, but creditors took the initiative in the Redwater case to try to escape that. And um, Redwater was a small company um, that was environmentally insolvent the moment it was created. It only operated for five years, never turned a profit. And yet, through the the peculiarities of oil and gas, um, financial uh, economics, uh, they were able to borrow $5 million from ATB. And they made some bad bets and went broke. Well, not because of low oil prices. They were still around $80 at the time. Um, Even though ATB had just reviewed in in early 2015, ATB had reviewed the Redwater file and had no concerns that uh, Redwater was gonna be able to repay its loan. Seven days after the NDP was elected, ATB uh, forced Redwater into receivership. In itself, not not a newsworthy event. A small company uh, fades away. but when seven days after Moat was appointed to chair the royalty review, ATB and, and uh, the receiver informed the regulator that uh, the 100 old wells, the 100 old licenses that were inactive and, and just a clean up liability, um, ATB wasn't going to take responsibility for those. They were only going to take the 20 good remaining wells. And they were going to assume responsibility for those, sell them off to pay themselves back. But someone else was going to have to worry about those other 100 licenses. And that flew in the face of a hundred years of energy regulation in Alberta and they fought back and forth, um, through the courts. Um, but the industry was successful at the court of Queens bench, successful at Alberta appeal court. Thankfully, the Supreme court, uh, set the record straight, uh, and essentially affirmed what the courts had said in 1991, the regulator is not a debtor. Uh, it, cleanup, it can force cleanup, but even before secured creditors, uh, and, but that leaves us the same place we were the first time the court said that in 1991. We have the power to hold industry accountable, but our captured regulators and politicians refuse to do so. So the January 2019 Supreme Court decision in the Redwater case uh, was important, but it's resulted in essentially no change. Uh, in 1991, banks did respond dramatically to that they wouldn't lend money to anyone without environmental inspections send out soil scientists uh, personal guarantees from executives um, that only lasted that lasted less than two years. Um, there was no such response to the two thousand and nineteen decision. Um, things haven't changed. Uh, we haven't seen a big increase in bankruptcies. Banks continue to ignore these liabilities. Um, they play different accounting games to uh, discount them over long periods to shrink them. They're not a major factor in their de- in their short- term uh, lending decisions. Um, and so we're left in the same position we are. We have banks financing these grossly insolvent companies and regulators uh, failing to use the powers they have to protect the public from the consequences.
2: Polluters have gotten away with not paying over and over again. So it's oil and gas companies are increasingly not paying the rents to landowners. And when they don't, you and I and other Alberta taxpayers pick up that tab. They're not paying their taxes, we pick up that tab as well, and they're not cleaning up their wells. We end up picking up that tab in the end, and so that's what what was I find what I find so significant about this ruling, is that it reaffirms uh, the polluter pay principle in um, in Alberta. At the same time, we still require our energy regulator and our government to enforce that law. I mean, what point? What good is that law if the government's just going to look the other way? And this is where I think we come back to that discussion and conversation around people power and municipal leaders and landowners and individuals banding together and standing up to have this principle of polluters pay be enforced.
1: Well, thank you very much. That was a that was a very thorough um, explanation of of the red water or the implications of what led up to the red water case and the Supreme Court decision and the implications of it. It's something that I that I in political circles I hear thrown around uh, quite a bit, but I don't really get the impression that a lot of people really understand the issue. And and like the the abandoned and orphan wells issue, the liability the wells liability issue that we talked about today. I think this will be uh, at least I hope it'll be enlightening um, for a lot of a lot of Albertans who might not be in in either in rural Alberta or might not be directly exposed or have direct experience with with this kind of this issue because you're right it is um it is a boiling issue in Alberta politics and something that that I don't think um I mean I agree with I agree with both of you when you say you don't you don't think this is an issue that's going to be going away anytime soon and might end up actually end up being an issue going into the next provincial election campaign even though that's Three or four years away, but uh, so it's hard to hard, obviously hard to predict. But but in terms of political issues, this this definitely doesn't go isn't it doesn't seem like it's going away. So that's it for this episode. Uh, thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, for supporting the show, and thanks to our guests Tina Fays and Reagan Boychuk for joining us today to talk about Orphan Wells. Uh, for more information about the Alberta Liabilities Disclosure Project, you can visit their website at www.aldpcoalition.com. Please check that site out for more information and follow them. Uh, we also wanted to mention that the Day Berta podcast has been nominated in the Outstanding News and Current Affairs Series category in this year's Canadian Podcast Awards. So thank you very much for everyone who nominated us and to those fellow podcasters who, uh, who might vote for us in this category. I think the voting goes on till uh, till mid-February. So thank you very much. Uh, send us your feedback or ask any questions you have for our next episode. You can get us on Twitter and Instagram at, at Dave Berta, or on the Dave Berta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at Thanks for listening.